Welcome to the online Bible study. This week we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 17. Now Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter to prepare Christians for this fiery trial of persecution, to encourage them in their faith. His approach was optimistic and positive. Prepare for the best was his message. In this section, Peter gave three instructions to follow if they would experience the best blessing in the worst of times. The first instruction was to cultivate Christian love, as we will see in verses 8 through 12. The second is to practice the Lordship of Christ, verses 13 to 15. And the third was to maintain a good conscience as we'll see in verses 16 to 17. So let's begin by looking at the first instruction. Cultivate Christian love. Let's start off by looking at chapter 3 and reading verses 8 through 9. It says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now here, Peter says, finally. Obviously, he is not concluding that the epistle, because there's more to come, right? He was simply summing up a series of exhortations concerning submission, which began back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, where we were talking about the submission of government and authority. Then the verse goes on to say, all of you. He is addressing all, whether it be the masters and servants, husbands or wives, as we talked last week, or the entire body of believers. And then notice he exhorts them in six areas. He says, to be in one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, and do not retaliate, but bless those who do evil against you. Ladies, as believers, we are to live in harmony. When the world looks at us, they should see a spirit of oneness. They should see us standing together through thick and thin, regardless of the circumstances happening around us. Now, we should not be out there arguing, bickering, and gossiping, causing dissension. Just like our example of the godly marriage partners last week. When we are putting each other down, not showing respect, we dishonor God. Think about the church family. When we are putting each other down, gossiping about one another, what example does that leave? Well, it is certainly not honoring to God. Yes, we all have different personalities, different ways of handling things, different God-given gifts, but together we are whole. Together we make up the body of Christ. Take, for example, the physical body. It is made up of many parts, right? You have hands, you have eyes and feet, 
you have internal organs. But together, it functions in harmony. And it needs each part, just like the body of Christ does. Peter here is reminding us that we are united together. That we must seek to honor God in everything that we do. Being of one mind. Working together for the common goal of spreading the gospel and winning the loss to the Lord. Let's turn over in our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 verse 16. It says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And then let's skip over a few chapters and look at chapter 15 verse 5 in the book of Romans. It says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus. Ladies, we are to be of one mind, to be like-minded, keeping our focus on Christ and giving Him honor and glory through our conduct, that those around us will be drawn to Christ and then the ultimate goal of winning the loss to Christ. The second exhortation is that Peter says that we are to be compassionate towards one another. The words here, having compassion, are the translation of a Greek word, sympathos, which we get the word sympathy. Meaning we are to be sympathetic. We should be willing to share in others' needs and being responsive to their feelings, having sensitivity and compassion towards others. When they suffer with those, we should suffer. We need to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Unity cannot exist unless believers feel compassion and sympathy for one another. You cannot be seeking to get your own way not caring what happens to others and live in unity. So unity demands sympathy, feeling for one another. Now let's look back a little bit in in Romans and look at verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 15. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, it says, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or, if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Ladies, we are to be compassionate towards one another. This is not me saying this. This is the scripture telling us this. The third exhortation that Peter gave to us in chapter 3, verse 8, says that we are to love as brothers. Now, this is very basic. It is just what it says. We are to love fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter told us earlier in chapter 1, verse 22, and chapter 2, verse 17, 
that we are to have a sincere love for our fellow Christians. It is not that we're just supposed to say we love them, but we're supposed to be sincere. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for, your, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Think about that. We are of the same family, right? The family of God. And God has taught us how to love one another. If we are reading his word and studying his word, that is how he is teaching us. He is the very example of love. The fourth exhortation that Peter tells us is to be tender-hearted. Now the King James Version says pitiful. The word pitiful here is obsolete. It means something different. The Greek word that he used here means tender-hearted. The term that he used here is eusplengenos. It is made up of two Greek words, you, which is good, and splenglenos, which is your inward parts. Now this was originally a medical term denoting the intestines, the bowels or the tender parts. You know in the Old Testament how they always used your inward parts to describe emotions. Well, gradually this physical meaning shifted to the metaphoric sense of affection and tender mercies. So when Peter says to be tender-hearted, he is referring to our deepest feelings, down to those inward parts within us. We are to be deeply touched and moved by the hurts, the pain, the needs, and the joys of fellow believers, and then act to help them. Now this is something that we need to cultivate. It is so easy with all the pain and the suffering in the world today to close up our hearts so that we don't have to feel that pain. But Peter here is telling us to be tender-hearted. Now being tender-hearted draws people together. There is no room for selfishness. When you rejoice with those who are rejoicing and you suffer with those who are suffering you create a great bond together in Acts chapter 20 verse 35 it says I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive the fifth exhortation is that Peter tells us to be courteous. The Greek word here means to be humble-minded. To be humble-minded is to think of others ahead of ourselves. In Matthew 23 verse 12 it says, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 
Now this leads right into the exhortation of number 6 that Peter tells us. And we now look at verse 9. It says, Do not retaliate, but bless those who do evil against you. Well, ladies, I'm not going to kid you. This is not always easy. We try to make sure that we don't retaliate when someone does something towards us. But we are humans. We have sin natures. And our natural response at times is to retaliate. On top of not retaliating, Peter tells us that we are to bless those who do evil against us. Now the word bless here means to speak well of. So instead of reacting against our persecutors, we are to find something that is commendable about them. And we are to commend them for it, to speak well of them. So you don't want to be having where if somebody does something and they're saying some bad things about you or something like that, you don't want to go over and talk to somebody else and say, can you believe what so-and-so did? No, we are to speak well of them. This is going to turn them around. They're going to say, well, they didn't act like I thought they would. It's going to show God's example. Now, sometimes it is easier to forgive and not retaliate than to turn and bless them. This can only be done by the power of God. This is not within our nature to do. Now, Peter, he knows all about retaliation. You remember in the garden, Peter retaliated with using the sword against Christ's enemies in Luke 22. And he cut off the ear. Ladies, persecution was rampant in those days, just as it is now, and it will only get worse. The church today needs to be prepared because difficult times are ahead of us. It is inevitable. We need to practice now these exhortations that Peter has just given us. That as the persecution becomes worse, we will be able to handle it through the strength in Christ. Think of the impact upon the persecutors. When an attitude of love and blessing is demonstrated towards them, every persecutor is not going to necessarily be one to Christ. But every persecutor would have a strong witness that could be used by the Holy Spirit in that persecutor's quiet, thoughtful moments. And some of them, yes, will be one to Christ by our conduct, by the way that we have handled it. And this is what God is after. Peter reminds us in verse 9, of our calling that we are called to inherit a blessing the persecutions that we experience today only add to our blessed inheritance of glory in heaven someday what a wonderful thought Matthew 5 10 through 12 says blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are you when they, when they rival and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice 
and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Ladies, we should love one another, we should love our enemies, and we should love life. Let's look at Peter, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Notice here that Peter is quoting Psalms 34 verses 12 to 16. When we see persecution increasing, and we see all the bad things happening in, in the life around us, it should not cause us to give up on life. Satan wants that, but we should not allow that. What may appear as bad days to the world can be good days for a Christian if he will only meet certain conditions. Now we can decide to endure life and make it a burden. Or we can escape life as though we're running from a battle. Or we can enjoy life because we know that God is in control. I know in my personal life, it has gotten me through a lot of deep times, a lot of deep sorrows and deep trials, just knowing that God was in control and that he was going to see us through it. Peter was not suggesting some kind of unrealistic psychological gymnastics that refused to face facts. Rather, he was urging his readers to take a position, an approach to life and by faith, and make the most of every situation. It is an attitude of faith that sees the best in every situation, looking at the positive instead of the negative of everything. Peter shows us four steps to loving and enjoying life. The first is that we are to refrain your tongue from evil. Second, we are to turn away from evil and do good. Third, we are to seek peace and pursue it. And fourth, we are to remember the source of life, the Lord himself. Now, ladies, there's not enough time in this lesson to go into depth on each of these. So I'm just going to touch briefly. First, one is to refrain your tongue from evil. This is an imperative mode, which means it's a command. We are personally responsible to stop our tongue from evil. Many of the problems of life are caused by the wrong words or spoken in the wrong spirit. We need to pray Psalms 141 verse 3 every day and ask God to help us with our tongue. The psalm says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the doors of my lips. How many times 
have we said something and we wish we could have taken it back? We need to pray this. Set a guard. The second is turn away from evil and do good. The King James says, let him eschew evil. Now the word eschew here means more than just avoid. It means to avoid something because you despise and loathe it. Now it is not enough for us to avoid sin because sin is wrong. We ought to shun it because we hate it. We are commanded to turn away from evil and do good. When we turn away from evil, we turn to God. When we turn to God, we commit our life to godly living. We witness to the lost, not only in words, but also in our conduct. And we minister to those in need. Third, he says that we are to seek peace and pursue it. We are not only to seek peace, but we are to pursue it. Now, the word pursue here means to run after, to chase after, and to press after. We live in a world full of people who could care less about peace, who are troublemakers. But we are commanded to seek and pursue peace. The fact that we are instructed to run after, to chase after, to press after peace, means that peace is not always possible. There are going to be situations that we simply cannot have peace. Romans 14:19 says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which we make peace and the things by which one may edify another. Peace is not always going to be attainable in all situations. There are going to be those who simply do not want peace. But we are to press toward the goal. As it says in Philippians 3 verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then the fourth that Peter tells us is that we are to remember the source of life. The Lord Jesus himself. No person has life apart from God, right? And God sees exactly who it is that is received life. The scripture says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. God sees the righteous. The very person that was just described. The person who controls his tongue. Who does not speak evil nor deceive people. The person who turns away and flees from evil. The person who seeks peace and pursues it. Then it says, his ears are open to their prayers. What a beautiful picture here. The idea here is that he hears their cries in times of their need and he meets that need. God cares and looks after the righteous day by day, never letting them suffer more than they can bear. God gives life, both abundant and eternal, to the righteous. And he looks after them by answering their prayers while they journey throughout this life. Nothing happens to God's people that he does not allow for some purpose. Whatever happens, God's people know that his promises of blessing 
whether in this life or in the life to come, are certain. Not only are the Lord's eyes open and watching, but his ears are open to our prayers. He listens when his people call for him. He knows all of our needs and he hears their prayers of suffering. These words would have been a great comfort to those suffering Christians of that day, just as they are a comfort to us, knowing that God is hearing our prayers and watching over us. But not only were they seen, heard, and ultimately protected, but those who hurt them would be judged. Note that the very face of God stands against those who do evil. The picture is that God does not only see the evil person, he stands face to face against him. He stands face to face to judge them. Now a good day for the believer who loves life is not one which he is pampered and sheltered, right? It is which we experience God's help and blessing because of life's problems and trials. It is in those trials that we grow deeper to Him. It is a day in which He magnifies the Lord, as we see in Psalms 34, verses 1 through 3. We experience answers to our prayers, as we see in, in 4 through 7. We taste the goodness of God, as we see in chapter 34, 8. And we sense the nearness of God, as we see in Psalms 34, 18. So the next time you think you're having a bad day, and you hate life, read Psalms 34. And you may discover that you're really having a good day to the glory of God. Now, the second instruction that Peter gave was to practice the Lordship of Christ. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. It says, And who is he who will harm you if you have become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The word and here is seeing that God takes such good care of the righteous who he is asking who is he that will harm you? This is a rhetorical question. This is asked in view of the persecution and suffering through which these saints are going through. Now Peter indicated that since the believers are righteous and God is watching out for them, no one can harm them. Romans 8.31 says, Whatever shall we say of these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? Ladies, we need to trust God to protect us in times of persecution. 
It is better to suffer for righteousness' sake than to compromise our testimony. As Christians, we are faced with crises, and when we are tempted, we are tempted to give in to our fears and make the wrong decisions. But if we sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, we need never fear men or circumstances. When Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, each crisis becomes an opportunity for witness. Verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 3 says, But sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now the Greek word here is apologia, which means give a defense. This is where we get the word apologetics which is the branch of theology that deals with the defense of the gospel. Now, every Christian should be able to give a defense of the hope that is in him through Jesus Christ. The sad thing is, is that every Christian is not ready. We need to be in the word, ladies, to be able to know what the scripture says. There are other cults that can spin circles around some Christians because they simply do not know their Bible. They are not ready to give a defense. So why is it so important to be able to defend the gospel? Scripture tells us that we are to be ready to give that defense. Ladies, it's an opportunity to lead the unsaved to the Lord. There's two well-known authors in apologetics They are Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel. Now, Josh McDowell was an agnostic when he decided to prepare a paper in college that would examine the historical evidence of the Christian faith in order to disprove it. However, Josh McDowell converted to Christianity after, as he says, he found evidence for it and not against it. Josh McDowell has written many books and is well known for his book, Evidence Demands a Verdict. And then we have Lee Strobel, who is an award-winning legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. Now, he also set out to disprove the Bible, and he was an atheist. After nearly two years of investigating the evidence of Jesus Christ, Lee Strobel accepted Jesus Christ into his heart. He has written several books, such as Evidence of Christ, Evidence of Faith, and there's much more. These are wonderful books to read and learn about the evidence of your faith. Now, ladies, this book, the Bible, the Word of God, We should be able to give that truth to know that as you hold this, that what it says in it is truth. It's not a bunch of stories. There is so much evidence that supports the Bible. I like acronyms because it helps me remember things. And one acronym that I like for apologetics is MAPS. M-A-P-S. M stands for Manuscript evidence. Now, 
Did you know that the Bible has more manuscripts found than any other book in the world? For instance, there's even the oldest one goes back to the book of Isaiah that's in Israel today. A stands for archaeology. There's archaeologists that have proven everything that has happened in the Bible. There's archaeological evidence that the Bible is true. P stands for prophecy. You can see how many prophecies have been fulfilled that are listed in Scripture. For example, in 1948, Israel became a nation. And then S stands for statistical probability. Now this leads into the prophecy of the P. The probability of all of the prophecies being fulfilled statistically is like one in a trillion. In other words, unheard of. Ladies, we need to be equipped in order to defend the gospel. Notice further in verse 15 that Peter also instructs us on how to give this defense. He says, with meekness and fear, which this fear is respect. Now we're not to go out and argue, but in a loving manner we are to present the gospel. The purpose is not to win an argument, but to win the loss to Christ. Suffering for the right should bring joy to the child of God. Now, some Christians actually make themselves obnoxious in their witness to others, thinking they are standing for the Lord. They're taking a stand. But if we have simply taken a quiet stand for the right and for God, we ought to rejoice. If we suffer for that, it's a blessing. You are not going to escape suffering in this world if you are a child of God. Someone once said, Jesus often spoke of Christianity as a banquet, but never as a picnic. Oh, how that is true. Never has Christ told us that it's going to be easy. If we're going to win lost souls to Christ, Ladies, our walk needs to match our talk. We need to make sure that Christ is Lord of our lives. We need to live only to please Him and not to please men. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And then in Romans 12, verses 1-2, through 2, it says, I beseech you, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we seek the kingdom of God, as it says in Matthew 6.33, and we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, not conforming to this world, as it says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we will not be satisfied with anything less than the will of God in our lives, living totally 
for Jesus Christ. Our third instruction from Peter was to maintain a good conscience. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. It says, Having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. In order to give an effective witness, Peter said, we need a good conscience. The conscience is that internal judge that either approves our actions or not. I like how Warren Wiersbe described it. He said, conscience may be compared to a window that lets in the light of God's truth. If we persist in disobeying, the window gets dirtier and dirtier until the light cannot enter. Conscience depends on knowledge. The light coming through the window. As a believer studies the word of God, he better understands the will of God and his conscience becomes more sensitive to right and wrong. So if we do not grow in spiritual knowledge and obedience, then we have a weak conscience. A good conscience always gives us peace in our hearts. And when we have peace within, then we can face the battles without. Having a good conscience removes us from the fear of what other people may know about us, say about us, or do to us. It doesn't matter if we have a good conscience. They can't pull some dirty secrets out that we don't want out. When Christ is Lord and we fear only God, then we need not fear the threats and opinions or actions in our enemies. Psalms 118 verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Peter does make it clear, however, that conscience alone is not the test of what is right and wrong. Conscience is a safe guide only when the Word of God is the teacher. Everything that we do should be filtered through the Word of God. Just because we think it's right isn't necessarily right unless we run it through Scripture. Notice that those who persecute believers will be put to shame by our good conduct and our clear conscience. There is always going to be those who oppose and persecute us and we may not be able to keep them from slandering us. But we can at least stop supplying them with ammunition. As long as we do what is right, their accusations will be empty and will only embarrass them. Living godly lives, walking the talk, is how to combat them. It is common sense, lady, that... It is better to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. God wants us to live righteous, pure lives. And he wants us to witness for him even if we have to face persecution doing it. This is the will of God. If you suffer for Christ's sake, you can rejoice in that. 
But if you are suffering because you have played the fool, because you have gone out, gotten into trouble because of sin, then that's a totally different story altogether. As times of difficulty come to the church, we must cultivate Christian love. For we will need one another's help and encouragement as never before. We must always maintain a good conscience because a good conscience makes for a strong backbone and a courageous witness. The secret is to practice the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Ladies, Peter has given us great instructions to follow if we are to experience the best blessing in the worst of times. We are here for a short time and as we journey through this world we are to put Christ first. We are to walk a godly walk. We are to be examples, be the light in a dark world. We should be of one mind, living in unity with compassion, tender-heartedness, and humble-minded. When we make Christ Lord of our lives, then living every day for Him, we will have opportunities to witness. Ladies, we need to be equipped for that. We need to have a good conscience so that our testimony is pure. We need to walk the talk. God loves us so much. He wants to be the center of our lives. He wants us to put our full faith and trust in Him as we walk in this world so that everything we do brings honor and glory to Him. There is a video out that shows a man who loves his son so much. He cares for him. It is such a moving video. This father loved his son so much that he did everything he could to meet the desires of his son's heart. His son told him one day that he wanted to be able to run in a triathlon someday. Well, the boy had cerebral palsy and the father knew that he would never be able to do this. But the father granted that wish by carrying him as he did the triathlon. Now he could have run the triathlon by himself and said he was running it for his boy. But that wasn't what the boy wanted. The boy wanted to be able to do a triathlon. So they set out. And in this video, he shows him carrying his boy through this triathlon. As he swims, he has the boy in a raft, taking him with him on the bicycle, running everywhere. That boy is being carried by his father. They told the boy at the end of the race that he had competed in a triathlon which met the dreams of this boy. The father, he got praise and glory for what he did for his son. Ladies, this is an example of the love of God and how he feels about us. 
He carries us through the trials of our lives, giving us the help and the support that we need. And in the end, God receives the praise and glory for what he has done in our lives. Ladies, we need to make sure that we give him the honor and glory for what he has done in our lives. Next week, we're going to finish chapter 3 of 1 Peter as we look at verses 18 to 22. Until then, God bless.